Welcome back to another episode of Cooking Our Books. I'm Helen Cook. And I'm Pamela Cook. It's been a while since our last episode was out. We've been away. Pam and I went on a holiday to the UK and a little stopover in Paris during the European summer. Lots of sightseeing was done in the UK. Um, We wanted to talk about some of the food highlights and I will also note that food does include beverages. So, um, Pam, highlights for you. Oh, I think it was a wonderful chance to tour some whiskey distilleries in Scotland. We hired a car and we're travelling around and got to do some tours of the distilleries. We did a fantastic tasting in Edinburgh and really getting to know the backstory of the famous whiskies that we've been drinking you know, for many years and also discovering some new flavours, meeting some friends of Australia over there. There's so many people that are connected to Australia that live and work in Scotland, of course, and just the, you know, scenery combined with the story of whiskey is always so fascinating. And there's obviously so many distilleries, we didn't get to all of them, but the ones that we got to, that was a real highlight for me. The locations for some of these whiskies were just mind-blowing. The one distillery that really sticks out for me was Dewar's. Mm. And where the Dewar's distillery was located, it was like in a little magic fairy garden mm-hmm. of whiskey, you know. The uh, location that the distillery is in, it's down in a valley. It's very lush, very green. We were lucky enough on the day that we went to Dewar's, in fact, to see a delivery of the barley coming in and they had all the still doors open or the doors to where the massive copper stills are located. They had the doors open so we got full view of those beautiful copper stills and, yeah, just wonderful scenery, wonderful location, great whiskey. Absolutely. Helen, did you try any UK-specific foods while you were over there? Look, aside from the uh, 1001 pub meals that we had, mm-hmm. <laughs> lots I, I of think good the pub only, food. Lots of good pub food. Oh, my goodness. I think the one UK delicacy, if, if you want to give it that name, that I did try was black pudding. I've never tried black pudding before, but I, I did have black pudding. What do you think? Yeah, very, I don't know if herby is the right word to, to describe a herby, earthy taste to it. Yeah, I didn't mind it. It was fine. It was only a small piece, but, um, yeah, it was good. I, I, I just I had to try it. I did, the one thing I didn't try in Scotland was haggis. I just don't think we had an opportunity to eat haggis when we got to Scotland. I'm trying to remember whether or not it was offered up to us. But, yeah, I didn't try haggis, but definitely black pudding, which was lovely. So I'm going to put that one in the uh, in the annals of strange things that Helen has tried. I've eaten deer and elk and moose and bear and now black puddings. <laughs> There's a real animals um, theme there. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Carnival much? No. Mm. <laughs> but um, whilst our uh, food that we ate throughout the trip was fairly standard, uh, nothing necessarily out of the norm than what we got here. The one thing that did surprise me in UK and also in Paris, which they've really got nailed, is the supermarkets and the plethora of ready-made food at the front of every supermarket. 
and it's great food. It's healthy, it's freshly made and it's just ready and available instead of having to you know go to individual restaurants and things like that popping into the local Sainsbury's or the local Waitrose and and picking up a ready-made wrap and a salad um, and a drink all for like five pound just perfect if we had that here in Australia that would be so good Woolies and Coles are certainly missing out on that opportunity and that um, customer base um, by not offering that up, I reckon, in my opinion. Yeah, it's pretty standard across, I guess, most of the UK regional centres and cities. I think in some of our really concentrated metro locations of like the major supermarkets here, they do have a bit of a ready-made meal section, but it's not um, standard that they have over Mm. there and you can find it you know, not just in, in CBD areas, you can find it all around. So, yeah, it is very convenient. Yeah, it certainly helped us mm. <laughs> a lot of the times because we were out and about every day walking around and, and it was just easy to stop in a local supermarket and pick up a uh, um, ready-made wrap or a sandwich or a salad, And particularly when we were in Paris. I think it was our final day in Paris when we stopped by that grocery store and picked up some baguettes and cheese and some sliced meats and we went and had a picnic in the park down out the front of the Louvre there but that was just beautiful and the European summer was it was just so hot really hot over there so (laughs) it was nice to find a shady tree and eat out have a you know picnic outdoors as such so yeah it was great yeah our picnic in Paris is a real highlight for me Today's recipe, chicken and asparagus croquettes. And the minute you say the word croquette, you just think waka, 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 1970s. It's definitely a dated form of food, the name particularly. Yeah, Yeah. I guess I haven't heard the word croquette used much these days in cuisine, even though I think after doing a little bit of research, it's probably still widely eaten in various forms, but we don't often, well, at least in my circles in Australia, we don't often hear about croquettes being served. Yeah, it feels like a 70s hors d'oeuvre or entree for like a party or something that you would have. I thought it stemmed from like the early 80s or potentially Mm. looking at the photos, it's from the early 80s. What area do you think the recipe's from? Looking at it, I think from memory it would have been a woman's day and it would have been a late 70s, early 80s, maybe 1980, 81, thereabouts. There's about 15 step-by-step recipes in the wider cookbooks and this is one of them. I think it's from the Women's Weekly uh, yeah. The decor, it is coloured images and mm. it's still got that bit of that 70s beige faded look to the images, which, is, which I yeah, adore. And that, yeah. yeah, and that's why I'm thinking it's it's very early 80s. It would be 1980, 81. And why I thought it was Woman's Day was because our father was working at Fairfax at the time and Fairfax owned Woman's Day and he used to bring the Woman's Day home for free. He'd get it. Uh, for free and he'd bring it home for mum and that's why mum had all the Women's Day magazines. So that's why I think it came from that. Yeah, definitely 1981. 
and it was funny when I was reading the recipe and getting prepped for it, you know, immediately I had these visuals come to mind of a pineapple skewered with pickled onions and cheese cubes, you know, <laughs> just an aspic, the word aspic came to mind as well. It's all so 70s. It mm. really is making a croquette. But you're right. I mean, you don't hear the term too much nowadays, croquettes. They do still present themselves just in different forms in our cuisine nowadays. Yes, yeah. Let's, let's get into that because yeah. I guess croquette's not something in my orbit, but it's mega popular around the globe. And I did a bit of research and I'm thinking, oh, have I eaten this before in some sort of form? Because it felt like I really hadn't, but after a little bit of internet guesswork, I think mm-hmm. I have definitely eaten it. Croquette, it's a French word derived from croquer, which means to crunch. Basically, they're a type of dumpling that's filled with a binder mixture and can include anything. It can be meat, seafood, pasta, rice or veggies that are shaped into discs, ovals or balls or logs in this case with today's recipe that are then breaded and deep fried. They mm. think they come from about the 17th century in France. The inventor has been credited to French chef Antoine Carême, who served potato croquettes at a royal banquet in 1817. Oh, see, potato croquettes, yeah, that's that's something that I've... Is that a chip? No, no a croquette is something that's breaded, breaded and fried. Yeah, 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 so yeah, it's a yeah, dumpling. You're right. You're right. It's a dumpling. It's a dumpling. Yeah. I know because I was thinking I think of something something like gnocchi when I think of potato, but it's not a pasta. It's not something that's boiled. This is No. But yeah, definitely potatoes are a major base of croquettes yes. around the croquettes. world. Yeah, yeah. Um so it's basically a bechamel sauce in the mixture that's usually made with stewed meat. When you think about it, it's actually a great way to use leftover meat makes it a little bit more tasty, a little bit more fancy. Mm. The croquette really started obviously in France but became this hit around the world and it was iterated on and spread around and it's remained really popular in certain countries, most notably the Netherlands. It's mass-produced there and there are so many variations of these balls of deliciousness in most countries. Um, I mean, in, in the Netherlands themselves, they're so popular that they've speculated that there's about 350 million croquetten eaten every year and that's about 25 per person per year. That's a lot. Wow. Wow. They're really yeah. popular. They mostly use meat and potatoes. They're kind of eaten as bar snacks, but they also use croquettes as like patties in burgers or like between a bun. So that's a pretty common way to eat uh, a croquette in the Netherlands. That's interesting because when you think about like veggie burgers, right, the patty in a veggie burger a lot of the times are crumbed and fried. You've got your filling meat and then they crumb it, fry it, and that's the patty that goes into like a veggie burger. So it's just a round, flat croquette. Yeah, it's so true. And as a woman that's eaten, oh, my goodness, years and years of different variations of veggie burgers, certainly, yeah, you've got sometimes yeah. you can have peas and corn and some sort of mix and, and it's breaded and fried. Yeah, that, that's a great example of a croquette that I might have been eating all those years. In Spain, they eat croquettes often as part of tapas and can mm. be filled with that bechamel sauce or meat and veggies. Mm. Here's another one I found interesting. In the U.S., 
fish cakes or crab cakes are a form of croquette. I've heard of fish cakes and crab cakes. Well, have you ever had a fillet of fish from um, Macca's? I have had a fillet of fish. It's crumbed. Yeah, and but fine. is it is it a croquette? <laughs> it, like it's meant to be a fillet, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But you're probably yeah. right. It's probably closer to a. It's probably closer to a croquette, croquette. given the yeah. uh, substantive filling in it. Yes. Uh, yeah. And the dubious, dubious well, filling. <laughs> yeah. I get. I guess you could probably call a chicken McNugget a croquette if you're going to go there too. But, yeah, that's true. Mm. In Italy, rice arancini are technically croquettes, and I've had plenty of rice arancinis. In Japan, they're called karoke. I probably pronounced Mm -hmm. that wrong. And they can include potatoes, onions, and vegetables. And Mm. in Indonesia, they have a version that's linked to the Dutch version. It's a very popular snack in Indonesia, and they have chicken in a mashed potato ball that's then breaded. Mm. Mm. I mean, there are an endless amount of international variations of croquettes I found that fascinating so when I was thinking what have I eaten I've definitely eaten arancini let's put down a veggie burger patty as a croquette (laughs) I've also had like mac and cheese bites which you can buy at like pubs or like German pubs in Australia often do like a breaded mac and cheese ball that's I think technically a croquette as well have you ever had a variation of a croquette or a, a pure one Helen well, the ones that, well, when we agreed on croquettes, immediately in my head came to mind was ham and cheese croquettes. I know I've eaten ham and cheese croquettes in the past. I don't know where, but I know I've eaten <laughs> But as you're running through that list, right, of variants of croquettes around the world, I reckon I've eaten a hell of a lot of them, mm. definitely, you know. Like I've definitely eaten many variants of that burger patties, rice arancini. Yeah, definitely eaten a lot over the years and tried different ones. So, yeah, it's just never been presented to me. I've always had it in my head that a croquette was that log shape. I never equated a croquette to being of a different shape because the ham and cheese croquettes that I've eaten in the past were of a log shape and it was very much a cheesy, stringy binder mixture in it, which is different to the binder mixture that we made on these ones. So, yeah, anything breaded and fried, I reckon we can put down as a croquette. To that point, let's talk about the chicken and asparagus croquettes that we made. The ingredients, so basically it's a wet mixture that you've got to put together and you're starting with like a roux? Yeah, you start with a roux. This recipe calls for a roux. So I've got to be honest, I'll own up now. Asparagus is just a really, really big hard no for me. Don't eat it, don't like it, don't eat it. So when when we picked this out, I went, okay. And I thought, you know what, Helen, be a big girl try it try it again even though i've tried it for many many years and i'm at that age now where i kind of figure i know what i like and what i don't like i thought no i'll try now when it came down to the crunch pardon the pun i had to say no big no so the recipe itself calls for a roux binding mixture so fundamentally your bechamel sauce but a very thick bechamel sauce like doughy type So it's a white sauce 
because it contained white wine as well, which mm. to me is a white sauce. The ratio of butter, flour and milk and white wine meant that the white sauce came out extremely thick. And it wasn't even like a thick sauce. It was like a dough. And so I actually had to adjust. Again, I made a number of adjustments to the ingredients because, uh, you know, I go by my eye when I make a white sauce and I just think, no, even as a binder mixture, this is, I made Play-Doh. It came out like Play-Doh. I just think, no, this is not going to work, right? So I had to double the amount of milk the recipe called for and then that gave me a thickness that was palatable and I think that's the key as well it had to be palatable I couldn't I don't think it would have worked it wouldn't have mixed in with the uh, the chicken and the asparagus substitute that I did but I know you used asparagus please tell me the story of your asparagus well yeah yeah I made a wet mixture butter flour milk white wine lemon and herbs and the vegetables in this recipe are leeks, fresh leeks that you cook. And it specifically asks for a tin of asparagus cuts, <laughs> not, not fresh asparagus, tinned asparagus, and chicken breast or chicken, right? I use chicken breast. I used the tinned asparagus and I've got to say when I opened up the tinned asparagus, the smell was, it was unique and <laughs> challenging maybe is the word. And really quite off-putting. And you, sometimes that's the truth. If food doesn't smell good, because smell is so yeah. connected to taste, I don't think yeah. it's going to taste good. So yeah. these tinned asparagus, they didn't smell right. They weren't off. It was just the nature, I guess, of the tinned asparagus. I don't mind asparagus. I've absolutely bought it and cooked it. It's it's enjoyable as a fresh vegetable. It's not something that I've ever eaten tinned before. So, yeah, it was quite pungent, the smell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I definitely cooked the sauce. The sauce was very wet for me. Also, I had chopped up the chicken quite maybe too fine. In the photos of the recipe, it's pretty chunky actually. My sauce wasn't – it was a bit more fine, but I really had to let it stew because the <laughs> smell was so overpowering. Um, oh, it no. didn't feel appetizing at all. And I thought, well, let's just let this baby, you know, sit in the fridge. I think I actually left it overnight before I went to the next day to bread it, molded it into logs and then, you know, breaded it. But it was very wet mixture, very thick. There was something really unpleasant about the tinned asparagus. I've got to say mm. the recipe itself, uh, the first major instruction is to cook the leeks off in a saucepan and then you just make the white sauce in the same saucepan and that was mm. such a fail because essentially mm. if I could do it again I would have cooked the leeks separately and then started yeah. with a fresh clean saucepan to make the white sauce because my white sauce just turned out looking like porridge I could oh. not get that thing to mix evenly because of course the saucepan's full of these leeks already yeah, and yeah. that that was another uh, factor in how unappetizing yeah. it was looking and I'm thinking oh, oh I'm no. hoping this thing comes together isn't that funny how we push on mm. we push on even though your gut instinct is telling you no this is not this is a this is a major fail this is failing I'm like, no 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 it'll come good it'll come the eternal optimist in us no it'll come good <laughs> 
Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not that good at cooking raw chicken. And I think mm. I had, I cooked it ages before and then froze it. But the chicken itself didn't look that wonderful. It, it really looked a bit anemic and <laughs> the texture wasn't great. So uh, the only great thing that I really, I think I had done some fresh lemon. I'd done the rind because it calls rind and lemon juice. So, mm. yeah, the, the individual ingredients weren't that crack hot. The leeks were okay. I think the worst part of it is like because I'd left it maybe overnight before cooking it, the whole mixture kind of had this light green tinge from the oh, oh, <laughs> asparagus no. tin. No. So the no, white that sauce was white. Not, no, it was like faintly not. green, faintly green oh, sauce, no, which no, um, no. looked pretty funny by the oh, end of it. No. And, um, oh. yeah, so yeah, um, how, was no. you, how, how did you go about shaping them and breading them <laughs> well the shaping and the breading was the easy bit because as i mentioned my white sauce it was well white dough fundamentally <laughs> right it was just on that tipping edge between being a dough and a seriously thick sauce right so it was just viscous enough for me to mix in the chicken and my substitute vegetable so instead of the asparagus, I thought I had a bag of frozen spinach in the freezer. I thought, oh, I'll throw that in, fill the spinach and throw that in. Uh, no, no, the, the, the spinach I had forgotten I used up on the cheese and spinach triangles. So um, I also buy fresh broccoli and I freeze it to have, I generally freeze my own fresh broccoli. But I found over the time that when fresh broccoli is frozen in my freezer, the little broccoli um, buds, for want of a better word, that are on the end of the broccoli stalks, they fall off. So I end up having a bag of a broccoli stalk with all its fine substalks, and at the bottom of the bag is all these little green pods. So all the little green heads are sitting in the bottom of the bag, right? So I looked at that and I went, you know what, I reckon that would work. That would go in, it really easily mix in with the mixture and it will cook fine when I go to, to fry them. So I, had, I did the leeks. I also had frozen pre-prepared leeks and so that, that was fine. They went in and, you know, I softened them down with the butter but the recipe, as you say, called to add the flour in with the leeks after the leeks had softened. And I did that. And immediately while I was adding the flour in, I'm thinking, no, this isn't right. You need to take those leeks out and then cook. But I didn't. I followed the recipe. And, of course, I came up with the same issue with you. I was like, oh, I've got to try and, you know, the flour was getting all lumpy, so I was quickly mashing it. And it's really hard to try and smooth it out when you've got a pan full of, of chopped up leeks in there as well, you know. So how do you, the recipe says to um, to mix until smooth and stir until smooth. I'm like, well, I can't get this smooth. There's a pan mm -hmm. full of leeks in there, you know. Anyway, so I fried it down and the, the secret to a good white sauce particularly is cooking down that flour and bringing the flour to temperature because that's what acts as that thickening agent. It opens the gluten in the flour and it acts as the thickening agent. So I left it a bit longer in making sure I was moving that floury leek mixture around the pan. Then I added in the milk. It said to slowly add in the milk, but I knew 
given the ratio, as I said, of butter to flour to milk, I knew that that flour would soak up that little half a cup of milk in like two seconds flat. So I dumped it all in at once, and sure enough, it suddenly became into a ball. <laughs> so I had this ball of uh, leeks in the saucepan, threw in the white wine, and then I got more milk out and started pouring more milk in and breaking it down and breaking this dough ball down into like a thick roux. So that worked out really well. But I did have to add twice the amount of milk to what the recipe called for. Oh, with the chicken, so I did use chicken. I had two chicken breasts that I just whacked in the oven on an oven tray this morning. No oil. They just cooked in their own juices. Got them out, let the breasts cool down, pulled them apart with my fingers and then chopped those strands of chicken into centimetre lengths. So it was fairly fine. I knew I needed to get the chicken fairly fine to be able to form up the dough and form up ultimately into these croquettes. Pulled all that together. I didn't use lemon rind. I did use lemon. I did use nutmeg. In hindsight, I should have added a bit of salt and pepper to taste. I didn't do that. When it came time to pulling these croquettes together, I got the mixture out. The mixture was fairly solid in the fridge and just using gloves, I was able to form them up really quickly. And I did the old, you know, flour, egg and breadcrumbs. And my logs, <laughs> poo logs as I call them, my logs turned out great. And quite honestly, they were really, really tasty. So I had to stop my son eating them. The recipe calls for them to be deep fried. Did you do that? No, I didn't. I, I didn't deep fry them. I shallow fried them. So I reckon there would have been maybe a centimetre or two centimetres of oil in the bottom of the pan. The oil came up about a third of the height of the croquette as it was lying down in the pan. And seriously, cooking them took no time, like zero time. I think I rolled them around in the pan, you know, cooking one bit at a time, one side at a time, and it took a total of maybe three minutes to cook each. So the cooking was really quick because the white sauce was already cooked, leeks were cooked, chicken was cooked, and my little broccoli buds they don't need cooking they just the heat and they were fine mine came out great the recipe said it makes about 12 and I got 11 so kind of figured that my my forming skills were on point I didn't measure it when I was forming it says take two tablespoons I just grabbed a handful each go and went yeah that looks about a, about the size of a croquette to me. <laughs> you know so yeah they were great and really yummy I ate mine with some sweet chilli sauce. That's great. I did not fry them myself. I probably bent the biggest instruction of the recipe in. I decided to air fry them. And I did check taste.com.au. Air frying croquettes is a thing. So I knew okay. someone out there is going to not think of me as totally sacrilegious on this front. But <laughs> yeah. What is an air fry there if not to air fry rather than pan fry? So, yeah, I coated them in a bit of spray oil after I'd breaded them and bunged a few into my air fryer. When I air fry them, actually, because my mixture was so wet, even after being in congealed state, um, it doesn't sound very appetising, does it? But No, no, no. (laughs) Maybe I air fry them at too high a 
Um, maybe, or maybe this is the air frying process because the mixture started to obviously bubble and mm, try and mm. get it, try and escape out of the croquette. Oh, so I was yeah, left yeah, with yeah. these little nodules of mixture coming out, which, if anything, just made the thing look even less appetizing when I brought them out. I did eat a couple. I've got to say, anything breaded and fried isn't bad, <laughs> no matter how off-putting the mixture. Amen, sister. Amen. This is why they're <laughs> here, right? Like yeah, you yeah, yeah. Kind of put anything inside flour, egg, and breadcrumbs, mm. fry that thing, and it is delicious. <laughs> and I was surprised myself, even that, the, you know, the fact that I wasn't really looking forward to eating it, but actually ended yeah. up not being very bad. And I'm sure had I actually exposed the thing to oil on a pan, it would have even yeah. been tastier. But yeah. Yeah. what I walked away with was I get it. I get why croquettes, yeah. millions and millions of people around the world enjoy them because it's an endless possibility of a recipe, isn't it? It is. It's, it, it is. As you say, you get anything that sticks together, right, that you can you can stick it together and it can form a shape and it clearly doesn't matter what the shape is so long as you can shape up food that is clumped together in some fashion, wax and flour, egg and breadcrumbs on it and away you go. Oh, I mean, I started to think about if I was to do this again, what would I do? And, you know, the opportunities are endless. Endless, yeah. I, I love mashed potato and, you know, potato is a real comfort food. Potato and leeks, you know, that's a hero combination there. Great in yeah. soups. Leeks are great added to mashed potatoes as well. So yeah. I could definitely see myself making a potato and leek version. I mean, I love cheese sauce. I can do a vegan version of cheese sauce. Fresh peas actually would be awesome, maybe mm. with a bit of a mac and cheese twist. I don't know. I got mm. It got me thinking and it got me excited. And I thought, especially if you're entertaining, and that's where this kind of 70s dinner party yeah. thing comes in because yeah. if I'm just making dinner for myself, I'm not likely going to bother breading and frying anything. But no. if you've got friends over or you're having a party, this is a great way to, yeah, to entertain and, and do something bite-sized when you're having a cool drink. Well, you know what it made me think of? Exactly that. I was While I was making them, I'm like, how good would it be to have a 70s-themed party? I think we yeah, mentioned like, this in the previous episode. And, yeah, and bring a plate and everyone has to bring a dish of 70s nature. I think it would be awesome. I really do. And, of course, I have two fondue bowls or fondue sets and I love a fabulous fondue. I really do. That's another thing. Cheese. Oh, fondue, punch bowls. And, you know, in the 70s they had those fish-shaped bowls that had the aspic jelly yes. in them? Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. what, that's what yep. this brings up to me. Through the battle with the tinned asparagus, the one thing it reminded me of was smoked oysters from a tin on jacks, <laughs> right? John no, West no, smoked oysters. Oh, bless. And it's such yes. a 70s thing. And, of course, yeah. I thought, it's that acquired taste and yeah, yeah. that's what I kind of thought, well, I'm sure a lot of people out there love eating tinned asparagus. So some oh, people do enjoy it, but yeah, a bit like the smoked oysters, yeah, yeah. It, it, it can be Quite really taste. popular in some corners yeah. and definitely, definitely a 70s thing. Yeah, definitely. Just on the final note about anything that's breaded and fried, do we call deep fried ice cream a croquette? Hey, that is so interesting. Well, yeah, in some I've had it in some Chinese restaurants where it's actually breadcrumbed, right? It's not yes. just battered. Some no, no. just batter it and some breadcrumb it, right? No, absolute breadcrumb. I don't think I've had a battered deep fried ice cream. I've had 
all deep fried ice creams I've had in Chinese restaurants have been crumbed mm. so, okay. and fried. So there we go, just putting that out there into the ether. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was also thinking to myself, I think this recipe is great, but I think the asparagus has to get hucked out, heaved? chucked out, <laughs> heaved out. Corn would have been another good thing. Amen, yes. Chicken and corn croquettes. Maybe you need to make it again and do a shallow pan fry because can I also just say I'm always wary about deep frying as well because you just don't want that greasy oil. Seriously did not go anywhere near greasy or oily. It just crisped up that outside coating and there was no grease or oil involved in it. Well, So I think give it a go. I can't wait to see your photos because I think it's going to be a comedy just to look at your photos <laughs> compared to my bubble-popping, <laughs> slightly green-tinged logs. Gave it a good crack. I, I think this was a fun one because it opened me up to the whole world of croquettes and I've got to get me some potato croquettes. That's all I've got to say. Yeah. Just know. make some. Yeah. You're an expert now. <laughs> <laughs> look, if you want to make this dish yourself, you can find the recipe and pictures of our attempts on our Instagram page. Our handle is cooking our books number one. And if you cook it, we'd love to see your photos. Message us your pictures on Instagram or email us cookingourbooks at gmail.com. Our theme music is Josie Has the Upper Hand by Josh Woodward. And we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Subscribe so you can be notified when our new episodes are live. Bye for now. Bye everyone.